Praise God that we can take part in a ministry such as that. Let me, let, let's pray for Callie before we, we go on and carry into God's word. Father God, we thank you. We thank you that you've placed it on Callie's heart to go and serve among the least of these. Lord, we know that's not some uh, ethnic diversion, Lord, but that is, is, is your heart is to reach out to the lost, to those without. That your, your desire from, from Genesis to Revelation has been revealed to us that you are redeeming this world to you. You are adopting the orphans. Lord, we are all orphans in our heart. And so we're, we're eager to see what you are going to continue to do in Callie's heart and her ministry to impact the children of tomorrow this very day, to love them, to pour into them. We pray that you would guard Callie's heart. You would protect her, Lord, from knowing that Satan does not want her to, to trust in you, to lean on you, to seek your guidance and to follow you there. But yet, Lord, you are bigger and greater and more powerful. And so we pray that your ministry would be done there among uh, Callie and, and her staff, and, and you would lift them up and encourage them. Lord, strengthen them as their, their heart is to pour out the good news of the gospel. Lord, I look at the, the pictures of those children, and I'm reminded how simple faith is, and yet how difficult we make it sometimes. Father God, may we rest as we saw those children resting. May, may their hearts find refuge as their bodies have found refuge. And may we do the same, Lord. May we find rest in you. And Lord, being in your presence, may we draw near to you. May our, our hearts and our lives be transformed from the inside out as we rest in your presence, Lord. Thank you so very much for Callie and for raising her up to serve you. Lord, we pray that you would watch over her and bless her this day. May she feel the support and the encouragement of Trinity Baptist Church here in Fairfield this very day, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we, as we get into things, I was, I was struck in the video that it says uh, the, the growth rate there is negative 0.41. That, that hit me harder than I would like to admit. The idea that... that, that that their growth rate would be going in the opposite direction. And yet it's no small coincidence either that I believe that, that God has put it on our heart to be thinking about growth this year as well. That, that even now we're thinking, uh, admittedly so, I, I think first of my own growth, but I recognize through Callie's ministry how important it is for us to be thinking about the growth that God is doing around the globe. And so we, we turn to our passage uh, this morning with eyes and ears and hearts to think about this idea of growth, that, that, that Callie is, is committed to seeing the growth of, of the gospel, uh, of the life of Jesus in these young hearts, and so we too can come alongside that mission. It, and, and admittedly so, growing is, is a manifold, it, it's a multidimensional idea, right? So we certainly think about our own growth, but we also do need to be thinking about the growth of our church, and I don't mean just here in Fairfield County, but around the world. This, this spring, we've been looking at what it means to grow in Christ-likeness and to grow others in Christ-likeness. It's pretty fitting that we could talk about 
growing in a time of year where the life all around us is coming back, right? I mean, all winter, the life has been somewhat dormant, and now we've got buds on the trees, leaves coming out. We received an abundance of rain this past week, and hopefully we, hopefully we all know and understand how necessary the rainstorms are for our own growth that we see happening in us, and then also as we see the growth happening outside. Just as the trees and the grass and the plants growing outside need sunlight and rain to grow, so we as followers of Christ need something to grow as well. God, in his infinite wisdom, has allowed us for us to grow as his Holy Spirit is at work in us and through us to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. We can't make ourselves grow any more than, we can, than the leaves on the trees can make themselves grow or bud or, or flourish. Only as trees receive rain and, and warmer weather, as they receive sunlight, can the, the leaves on those trees grow. And only as we receive from God the promise of the Holy Spirit, as we abide in his son Jesus, can we grow. Now, I'm, I'm not much of a gardener, so you, you may not see uh, a flourishing garden growing in, in the backyard over the parsonage, but um, what I do understand are some of the challenges from others who have, done, who have, who have taken the challenge on of, of gardening. If I understand correctly, you have to be intentional about a number of things to garden, protect those plants as they grow. You have to be concerned about animals getting into the garden and, and eating the, the leaves or the, the fruit. You have to make sure that your plants are being well-fed and watered and receiving all the sunlight they need to. You have to be concerned about bugs getting onto the plants and eating them or, or giving them some sort of disease, right? There are a number of things you need to be careful about when it comes to growing something. And the same is true for growing our own soul. There are a number of dangers and challenges we face as we pursue growing in the Lord. Today we're going to take a look at one of those things that can hinder us in growing in Christ's likeness and also in growing others. Today we're going to consider how fear can discourage us from growing in the Lord. Jeff Miller is a leadership consultant who had this to say about fear and how it affects us as we grow. The fear that we experience can be paralyzing and corrosive. It prevents us from reaching our full potential. It immobilizes us, and it keeps us in our comfort zone. Fear can certainly discourage us from growing. Fear is something that we, we actually all have in common. Whatever your fear may be, the fear may be different, but we all have that common uh, experience of fear. We, we fear small spaces. We, we fear open spaces. Some of us fear animals. I know that I've been kind of coming alongside my son, Alex. He's, he's scared of bees, and I, I understand that fear. I also understand that, that we can overcome that fear, but we're, we're scared of bees or insects or snakes or spiders. We're, we're afraid of even getting sick at times. Probably one of the most common fears is that of being alone. Think about it with me for a minute. If any of you have parented or are parenting a small child right now, think about bedtime. You know what it's like when you're, when you're putting your child to bed and you have to turn off the lights. Maybe you've got a nightlight. But the, the challenge of bedtime is the dark. But, but it's not just the dark. It's, it's being alone in the dark. You can lay there with your child in the dark and they'd feel completely safe. But leave them alone and they're going to get scared. Or what about eating alone? I don't know if any of you have traveled alone on a business trip, but how fun is it to eat your meal alone? 
I know I've traveled out to Cincinnati on business before for a two-week business trip, and, and in being out there, I spent most of my meals alone. I mean, there were, there were co-workers that I met out there that I would share some meals with, but, you know, you ate your meal alone. There's always that sort of uncomfort, the, the sense of, uh, who, who am I going to eat this meal with, right? Or how about this? How about standing in front of a crowd to give a speech or a lecture or, or, or leading a meeting at work, and, and you're the sole presenter, now put us in that same situation, though, as part of a team, a, a team of presenters, and it's a lot different. We've all faced the fear of being alone at one or more times in our lives, and you might even think of a time or a place in your life right now where you're feeling the fear of being alone. I remember toward the end of my senior year in college, I started thinking about my future after graduation, and, and I began to experience a, a fear of being alone. After graduation, everyone that I was either living with or friends from school, they, they had plans to go on to something new, and, and that meant we were going in our separate ways. It's around this time that I came across a poem that, that was kind of meaningful to me, a, a poem that I've since learned has been a comfort for others as well. It's called uh, Footprints in the Sand. It's a pretty popular poem. It's about a, a man walking down a beach with the Lord and flashing before his eyes are all the scenes from his life. At the end, the man notices that along his journey down the beach, there are points where the more difficult scenes in his life happen, and there's only one set of footprints in the sand. The man was upset the Lord had abandoned him, and so he believed he'd been alone at the most difficult times of his life. What the man comes to find out is that that one set of footprints in the sand are those of the Lord, because the Lord is carrying this man during a very difficult time. As I read Footprints in the Sand, I'm struck by this one idea. As I reflected on that poem, and, and granted, you know, that poem meant one thing for me when I first read it, and, and, but spending time with it, I think God has kind of invited me into a bit of a journey there, but, but spending time reflecting on it, he's given me a, another idea. See, what I can learn from this guy walking down the beach is, I don't need to wait until the end of my life to recognize and to be aware of God walking with me and growing me throughout the various circumstances of my life, morning until night, seven days a week, 365 days a year. I can embrace my current circumstances with hope, with, with joy, with, with a, a sense of strength, because of the promise of Jesus that we read about in our passage this morning. A promise that I will never be alone if I place my faith in him. We, we find this promise in John chapter 14, and it's, it's the promise of the Holy Spirit. If you were to go to Trinity's website, you'd see that this is a promise that has been claimed and confessed by our own church. And you'd, so you'd read this statement. Let me read it for you. It says, We believe in the Holy Spirit who came forth from the Father and Son to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and to regenerate, sanctify, and empower all who believe. All who believe in Jesus Christ, sorry. We believe that the Holy Spirit indwells every believer in Christ and that he's the giver of spiritual gifts to every Christian to be used as ministers for the edification of one another, to glorify God, and to minister to the needs of the world. It's kind of a mouthful, but if we were to boil that down, it's that God's given us his Holy Spirit to walk with us, to, to grow us in Christ-likeness, and to empower us as we step out and grow others in Christ-likeness. That, that we're not alone, but that, that God is at work in our lives. He's, he's not a God of, of a distance. He's a God who's near in our hearts, at work in our lives, empowering us, transforming us, 
And even then, as we go out into our various places of life, so like work or school or wherever God, wherever we go, he's there with us. As followers of Christ, we believe that God has given us the Holy Spirit and it's this very gift that was first given to his followers shortly after his resurrection and ascension, as we read about in Acts chapter 2. A few weeks ago, we celebrated Christ's death and his resurrection. A, a few weeks ago, we celebrated that after he came back to life, he appeared to many people, not just his closest followers, but, but many people. That, that he had risen, and, and in that time, he affirmed for them the promise that he would send his Holy Spirit, his helper, his counselor, to walk with his people. This is something new in his church. This, this is an inbreaking of, of God present with individual followers on a day-by-day basis. And so now we, we wonder, what does it mean then that the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives, transforming us? The passage we're going to look at together in which Jesus promises to send this helper is found tucked away in what is known as a, a final discourse between Jesus and his closest followers, the, the upper room discourse. It, it starts in John chapter 13 and goes to John chapter 17, and this may be familiar for some of you as you reflected on uh, the Passion Week and you reflect on Jesus' last moments on this earth before he was crucified. But if we were to step into the scene this morning, we'd find ourselves listening into Jesus on the night that he was betrayed to those who were, would crucify him the next day. Jesus and his disciples are sitting around a table in an upper room, partaking in their last supper together. Jesus knows what's ahead for him, and he knows what's ahead for his followers. In, in his mind, he knows what's gonna, what they're going to endure in the, in the coming hours, but also in the coming weeks and months and years. He knows that soon they'll see Jesus betrayed, beaten, scourged, ridiculed, and crucified. Jesus knew that his own disciples would be scattered out of fear for their own lives. It's why Jesus made a point to offer comfort in advance of the storm. He knew his disciples would face great fears, and so we find Jesus saying things such as the following. In John chapter 14, verse 1, he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God believe also in me. He's saying, don't be scared. John 14, 27, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus is trying to comfort his followers. He knows what's ahead. He knows that they will be uh, overcome by fear. And so he's planting these words in their hearts so that they might cling to them later on. John chapter 16 Verse 32 through 33 says, But a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered each to his own home. You'll leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you're going to have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Now, quick side note. We're going to do something a little bit different today. I, I, we're going to kind of take a glimpse throughout Scripture, a number of passages, and, and I, I'm going to hit them a little bit quicker than I'd like today. And so I want to encourage you to take your pen out. I want to encourage you to take your pen out and use that space in the back of your bulletin to write down some of these references. Some of them we'll put up on the screen for you, but I want to encourage you to write them down so that later on you can actually go back and look at these verses and, and, and see if God's inviting you to, to, to pay attention to how he's present with you, growing you and growing others through the work of his Holy Spirit. So, Again, we'll have some of these verses up on the screen, but those, those passages that I read for you, um, John chapter 14, verse 1, John chapter 14, verse 27, and then John chapter 16, verses 32 through 
33. Jesus knew what was ahead for himself. His disciples and all of his followers, including you and me, he was well aware of what we would face in this life. He knows how important it is to encourage and affirm his followers in advance of a coming storm. But above all, he wants his followers to live courageously, full of confidence, because God is with us. He wants us to have peaceful hearts, knowing that we are not alone, but that he will always be with us, and as a result, we grow. As a result, we grow through whatever circumstances we might face. So let's take a closer look at John chapter 14, beginning in verse 15. Here in these verses, Jesus promises to actually send us his helper, his counselor, his, his Holy Spirit, the third part of the Holy Trinity, to those who love him and have the fruit of willing obedience to him in their lives. In verse 15, we read these words, If you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives in you, or lives with you, and will be in you. So I think we, we realize is that our love for God is intimately connected to our willing obedience to him and his ways. If you were here when Pastor Dave preached on John chapter 15, this idea of, of Jesus being the vine, we're the branches, there's, an, there's a, a deep connection between our love for God and our obedience to him. Not that we would be obedient and then grow love, but that our obedience flows out of our love for him. Throughout the scripture, we find evidence of this, and uh, this connection between our love for God and our willing obedience of him. Listen to, uh, for a moment the words in 1 John chapter 5. Verse 3, there we read these words. Again, jot it down if you can. This is love for God, to obey his commands. His commands are not burdensome. Or, or what about, actually, if we were to, to flip our pages way back to the beginning in Deuteronomy, one of the first five books of the Bible, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9, we read these words. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. When your children or someone you love obeys you, you see their love for you in action. Their obedience is evidence of their love and their trust in you. Their obedience is not how they obtain their love for you, but it's evidence of their love and their relationship with you. Jesus is speaking of a relationship in which obedience is the fruit of love and not one that views obedience as a seed necessary to be planted to grow love. He told his disciples later on in the passage of, uh, in, in chapters 13 through 17 of John that his followers would be known by the fruit they bear, and that fruit is seen in willing obedience. There in John chapter 15, verse 8 through 10, we, we hear Jesus say these words. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. Now if you were to plant a pumpkin seed in the ground this time of year, I imagine you're not expecting to harvest some potatoes in the fall. 
When you plant a pumpkin seed, what you're expecting to be grown is a pumpkin. Maybe not in my case because I'm not a very good gardener, but, but if, you, if it's actually a pumpkin seed you're planting in the ground, you're expecting a pumpkin to come out, right? The seed of God's love in our hearts bears the fruit of loving obedience to him in our lives. So as we read in verses 15 through 17 of our passage this morning, God promises to send his Holy Spirit to those who love him and have the fruit of willing obedience to him in their lives. This is the promise of the Holy Spirit is a gift that isn't for everyone. It's set apart for those who love God and bear the fruit of trust and obedience in their lives. It's a gift that's set apart for Jesus' own followers. Stay with me for a minute. We're going to take a look at John chapter 14, verses 22 through 24 now. And in those verses, we, we, we read these words. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why did you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Now, at first glance, it may appear that Jesus is not actually answering Judas's question. But if we look closely, we see that he does. See, Jesus promises his Holy Spirit not just to the disciples, but to anyone in the world who loves Jesus and obeys him. In that person's life, Jesus promises to make his home. We read in, uh, in Ezekiel chapter 36, starting in verse 26. There we read, I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. For those who love Christ, for those who have placed their trust in him, for those who are willing to obey him out of love for him, Jesus promises to give us a new heart, a heart that the Holy Spirit has enveloped and embraced and and is at work transforming, bringing to life. His followers will never be alone again. If we genuinely love God, our lives reflect that love with obedience and we'll never be alone. We're going to have the Holy Spirit of God within us. This is a wonderful and undeserved gift. The greatest gift we can receive, which is a life that isn't lived alone, but a rich life that's lived with a daily awareness of God present with us. A life where we can continually be aware of how the Holy Spirit is at work in our inner being, growing us and transforming us to be like Christ. So are we to believe that the mere presence of God in each of our hearts will mean something? Are we to believe that that he'll be with us in every hour and season of our lives, even in the darkest ones, and that somehow that will change how we face these times? Yeah. Yes, we are. We We can absolutely believe that because God has said that in his word. When the Holy Spirit is present in our life, all of who God is is there as well. When a friend is going through a difficult time, we tell them that we're going to be there with them, to walk beside them. We, we may not know what we're supposed to say or what we're supposed to do, but, but our hearts just sing forth this, this, this promise, you know, I'll, I'm going to be right there with you. We wish we could do so much more than we can, but, but oftentimes all we can do is offer to be there with them. Don't get me wrong, being present with someone during difficult times is a powerful thing. 
But the Spirit of God can and does do so much more than offer us his presence. But to understand this, we need to take a look at what Scripture tells us about the Holy Spirit. To, to understand how the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives, we need to take a look at God's Word a little bit and understand how the Holy Spirit is at work. What is the role of the Holy Spirit in our, our lives? And this is where we're going to start to look at a few verses a little bit quicker. And so, again, keep your pen handy. Uh, keep that paper handy. I want to encourage you to write down the references we use to look at later on as you, uh, as you sit with the Lord and, and consider what He's inviting you into. Looking at Scripture, we find that the Holy Spirit is actually it's the vehicle through which we are given new life. It's the vehicle through which we're, we're born again and given this new life in Jesus Christ. Listening on John chapter 3, we're going to take a look at verses 3 through 6. John chapter 3, verses 3 through 6. There we read this. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. Being born of the Holy Spirit, we become God's children, extending your family tree across history and around the world. Now, don't get me wrong. It's true that we become followers of Christ, that we become born again as we put our trust in Christ. But this is a little bit of looking under the, the telescope, not the telescope, but the microscope of how that new life comes to be. And it's only through the work of the Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, the third part of the Holy Trinity, that makes us born again. The Holy Spirit is the vehicle through which God brings us new life in him as we trust in Christ and what the work that Christ has done on the cross for our, us. As we look into God's word, we also find that the Holy Spirit transforms our lives to bear fruit that reflects God's character. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 25, we're told this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. What a great comfort it is to me that no matter how many times I mess up and fall short of reflecting God's character, His Holy Spirit is at work in my life, molding me, shaping me, and transforming me. Because I have the promise of the Holy Spirit in my life, my life is in the potter's hand, shaping me into a wonderful creation of His. We grow, I grow, as the Holy Spirit is at work in me, growing me. What a gift it is when we can be aware of how the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives day by day, transforming us. We also learn from Scripture that the Holy Spirit comforts us. The fact of the matter is that we grow and are formed in Christ-likeness in good times and in painful times. I, I think sometimes we're, we're maybe more sensitive to how God might grow us through painful times, but, but the truth of the matter is the Holy Spirit is always at work in our lives, transforming us through every circumstance. And so we're certainly aware of, of how he wants to comfort us in painful times. The Holy Spirit will comfort us in difficult times in such a way that we're going to grow closer to Christ and more like Christ. 
In, in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, we read this. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. The peace that they experienced was from the Lord. And in that peace, in that comfort, the Holy Spirit grew the church. Again, first as individuals, and as individuals grew, the church grew in number. There are times in our lives when we're facing something that doesn't seem necessarily possible to overcome. Maybe it's a time of deep grief. Maybe you've been hurt deeply by someone you love and you feel betrayed and alone. To be honest, there are a number of options that we turn to in this world for comfort. Maybe we click on the TV. Maybe we grab a pint of ice cream or some other food. We, we numb the pain in whatever way we can. Maybe we, we cover up the pain with a drink. With the promise of the Holy Spirit with us always, we can take refuge in him and find comfort in times of trouble, just as the early church did in Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. Our hearts hunger for comfort, and I think that's why we turn to some of these things in the world. But what we also need to be reminded of this morning is that in Christ alone, in the gift of his Holy Spirit, we find the true comfort that our hearts desire. Sometimes that comfort is a simple reminder of his promise or maybe a remembrance of how he's been faithful to us in the past. But when we're reminded that he's present with us in the moment, we're reminded that the God of all creation and eternity is with us in the present moment. This comfort allows us the the emotional and spiritual space and capacity to endure our circumstances, and as a result, we grow. The Holy Spirit also, he, he empowers us to do the work of his kingdom in growing others. Kind of like what we saw with Callie earlier. I, I haven't actually met Callie in person. We haven't been here long enough to. But from what I've heard, she's an incredible person. And I, I think she'd be the first to give voice to the fact that it's not her, but what Christ is doing in her through his Holy Spirit that gives her the, the ability, the, the empowerment to do what she's doing. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we read these words, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It, it, it's as the Holy, Holy Spirit comes on us when we put our faith in Christ that we're given the, the empowerment to actually be his witnesses. Whatever that would look like, we can give voice to what Christ has done, not only in our lives, but in the life of his church. We can be his witnesses, not in our own strength, but in the strength of him alone. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I can feel actually pretty guilty and a bit overwhelmed when I think about sharing the gospel with others. Guilty because I think I don't do it often enough, and overwhelmed because I wonder if I let God down by the way I do it. Maybe I don't do it perfectly or the best way that I think God would want me to do it. And so I feel like I let him down. But you know what? None of that really matters. Because no matter how many years I train or practice, the power to share the gospel ultimately comes not from me, but from the Holy Spirit in me. That thought is something that gives me great confidence to share the gospel with others. The Holy Spirit empowers me to grow others. I don't empower myself. Well, we also learn that the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts and reminds us that we are God's own, that we are his children. What a gift it is. I'm sorry, I keep harping on the the video from Callie Quinn, but what a gift it is, not harping, that's a bad word. 
forgive me for that, uh, spending time with the video that Callie shared with us. What a gift it is that, that she can be present in these children's lives, reminding them that they have a heavenly father who loves them, who's thinking of them, and who's sending people such as Callie and her staff into their lives to remind them of that love. We have that same reminder. It may not come through a person like Callie, but through God's own word. We learn that part of our own growth is in our confidence, in our confidence of who we are as children of God. In Romans 8, verse 16, we read, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. There are going to be times in my life where I make a mistake, where I mess up. In times like that, Satan whispers into my heart, and I imagine he whispers into yours, that you messed up too much for God to want you back. He'll want to convince you that you're damaged goods and no longer worth anything. And even as Satan is trying to get you to believe that lie, the Holy Spirit is present with us, reminding us that we're God's own, that, that we are his children and he is our loving father. Scripture also tells us that we grow and grow others then as we embrace the role of the Holy Spirit to unite Jesus' fathers together as one. Later on in the book of Ephesians, Paul tells his listeners this. Make every effort. This is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 3 through 6. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of, of all, who is over all and through all and in all. In a world that is divided along lines politically, socially, geographically, racially, even theologically, the Holy Spirit is working all the time to unite us together in, as one, in one truth. And finally, we grow as the Holy Spirit guides us on our way, helping us discern the direction of our lives. Just think about Moses' account of how Israel made their way through the wilderness in Exodus chapter 13, verses 21 through 22. There we, we read, By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Now, I, know, I don't know about you, but I, I've never really had a, a pillar of, of fire or a, a, a cloud to, to guide me. But I hope this begins to give us a glimpse into the heart of God. That, that his presence with us is one that is intended to guide us and direct us. And, and so, though we may not have the same experience as Israel had in, in their exodus from Egypt, maybe we should consider Paul's experience in Acts chapter 20, verses 22 through 23 where Paul says to church leaders in Ephesus, and now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. You see, Paul sensed God's presence with him, guiding him and directing him. I know that we, we sense the pressure of, of, of many things in our world. We, we sense the, the pressure of our bosses or, or work or, or, or to keep up with the Joneses, the, the neighbors in our, our neighborhood. We, we sense all sorts of pressure. In, in, in school, we, we, we sense the pressure to receive an A or, or, or to, to fit in with the crowd or, or to, to look our very best, to hide who we really are 
We sense the pressure of the outside world. But the promise of the Holy Spirit is there is a pressure inside our being, guiding and directing us. If we would only grow in our awareness of that. God guides his followers with the Holy Spirit, leading them like a shepherd through the decision-making processes of life. Now, I know I, I, I can't cover all of what the Holy Spirit does this morning, and, and I think he does more. He convicts us of sin. He, 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 he intercedes on our behalf. He does a number of other things, but I hope you get a glimpse this morning that our growth happens not in our own strength and ability, but by the empowerment of God in and through our lives through the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit that Jesus has promised to his followers as he ascends back to the Father. Maybe you're sitting here having just lost your job and not certain how you're going to provide for your family. Maybe you've been told you're sick and the path to health is a very difficult and painful journey ahead of you. Maybe you're starting a new chapter in life, such as marriage or, or retirement, and though it's exciting, there's a question mark as to what the future holds for you. It's moments like these that we need to remember why Jesus tells his followers to not let our hearts be troubled. Our hearts need not be troubled because God is with us. His Holy Spirit has been placed in our hearts. He's going to forgive us and free us from sin. He'll give us new life. He'll comfort us by giving us strength and encouragement. He'll transform our lives to bear good fruit. He'll empower us to accomplish his good work in this world. He will unite our hearts to the hearts of his other followers around the world. He'll guide us in good times and in bad times. Our hearts need not be troubled because this very Holy Spirit is present with us for those who love God and obey his commands, for those who have placed their trust in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is God's promised gift to his people to come alongside us in the present moment and help us grow more like his son. But the greatest impact of the Holy Spirit in our lives is the fruit. How awesome it is to see over time the impact of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and our lives. Take a look at verse 27 in our passage, John chapter 14, verse 27. Let's, let's read what this result is. Let's read what the impact is of the Holy Spirit growing us from the inside out. In John chapter 14, 27, he says this. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. When the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives, we have peace. The word for peace used here is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word shalom. It means a peace that is unlike the peace the world commonly refers to. The peace we commonly refer to in this world is like that between two warring countries or between two rival tribes. All it really means is, the, is that the fighting has stopped. If you were to look on uh, in a dictionary, uh, specifically on, in, in dictionary.com, one of the first two definitions you'd read for peace would be the normal, non-warring condition of a nation, group of nations, or the world. That's certainly an understanding of peace. And that's part of shalom. Another definition, an agreement or treaty between warring or antagonistic nations, groups, etc., to end hostilities and abstain from f further fighting or antagonism. 
See, the, the peace the world knows, it just means the absence of negativity. The peace that Jesus gives offers more than the absence of strife, war, and hostility. Jesus offers a peace that actually adds blessing to our lives. His Holy Spirit brings a peace that's defined by comfort, guidance, confidence in who he is transforming us into, new life, wisdom, and much more. This is the point that Jesus is making in verse 27 when he says, I do not give to you as the world gives. Someone once said that peace that Jesus gives is not the absence of trouble, but is rather the confidence that he is there with you always. It's peace because God is with you. Nothing is big enough to defeat you. The God who transforms our hearts, comforts us when we're in pain, empowers us to do difficult things, strengthens us, gives us new life, and so much more is with us and brings us a greater peace than any world, than anything the world can offer. We believe in the Holy Spirit who's present with us always, doing a great work in our lives, growing us in Christ-likeness, and growing others through us, which results in a peace that our hearts truly hunger for and only God himself can give us. Like the man in the poem, Footprints in the Sand, many of us wonder where God is in the midst of our lives. Are there times where I'm alone and have to face the difficult road of life alone? For those who, God, who love God and obey his commands, he promises to never leave us. I want to read the poem for us. And, and as I read the poem, Footprints in the Sand, I want to encourage you to pay attention to the, the final stanza. This is how the poem goes. One night a man had a dream. He dreamed he was walking along the beach with the Lord. Across the sky flashed scenes from his life, and for each scene he noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to him and the other to the Lord. When the last scene of his life flashed before him, he looked back at the footprints in the sand. He noticed that many times along the path of his life, there was only one set of footprints. He also noticed that it, it happened at the very lowest and saddest times of his life. This really bothered him, and he questioned the Lord about it. Lord, you said that once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I have noticed that during the most troublesome times in my life, there's only one set of footprints. I don't understand why, I needed you, why when I needed you most, you would leave me. And, and here's the final stanza. The Lord replied, my precious, precious child, I love you, and I would never leave you. During your times of trial and suffering, when you see only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. You see, in good times and in bad, our God is with us, spurring us on to bear witness, uh, to bear wonderful fruit of him in our lives, bringing us comfort, confidence, and strength in the midst of dark storms. His promise is to be with us, to never leave us. And my prayer and hope for all of us this morning is that we would grow in our daily awareness of this presence. That we would grow in our daily awareness of God's presence in our lives throughout each of our circumstances. My prayer is that we wouldn't wait until the end of our lives to look back in reflection, seeking God's presence like the man in the poem. My prayer is that we would be fully aware that God is present in our lives right now, transforming us. He is growing us, and as a result, he's growing others through us. 
What a powerful statement we make when we say we believe in the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Father God, Lord, we we know that you desire to to grow us, to transform us. We know that that our hearts hunger to to grow in Christ's likeness, to, to sense the comfort of your presence with us. And and yet, Lord, I know how simple it is, how easy it is for our hearts and our minds to fall back into that place of of striving in such a way that we take you out of the equation. Lord, I pray this morning that you would give us sensitive hearts to grow in our awareness of your presence with us through your Holy Spirit, that we would sense that presence and be empowered, encouraged, to, to be listening for how you're growing us. That we would not look back on our lives and recognize that you were with us, but we'd be fully aware right now of your presence with us. That we are not alone for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are not alone for those of us who have placed our trust in you. You have promised to be with us. Lord, we know that there are troubles in this world, just as you have said. But I pray this morning that we would be empowered to recognize that the Holy Spirit is alive and well within our hearts for those who trust in Christ. And that because you are present with us, we can trust that the work you're doing in our lives will bear wonderful fruit. Even in difficult times, even in great times, we too can say we believe that you are with us. May you strengthen us, Lord. May we be encouraged as we go out from here to walk with you, aware that you are walking with us this very day. In Jesus' name, amen.